welcome to Spawn, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. And I'm Kristen Chase, and we're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. On today's episode of Spawn, we'll be talking to actress, mom, and author Evangeline Lilly about juggling motherhood and a super high-powered career. And as always, we will close out our show with our cool picks and podcasts of the week. So let's tell you more about our guest, Evangeline Lilly, as if you needed to know any more about her. (laughs) (laughs) She barely needs an introduction. This Canadian actress and cool mom, we will say, probably best known for her iconic characters in film and TV like Lost, The Hurt Locker, The Hobbit, and most recently, as our kids will tell you, is Hope Van Dyne of The Wasp and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yay! But you may not also know she is an incredible writer as well. And as she once said, acting is my day job, books are my life. And she made her publishing debut in 2014 as the author of the Squicker Wonkers. And now she's out with the next book in the series, The Squicker Wonkers Act One, The Demise of Selma the Spoiled. And we are so excited to talk to her because we know she loves introducing her children to the joys of reading, sharing her love of stories, and watching the spark that ignites their own love for the written word. And we're going to hear all about it today. All right. Well, we will be right back with Evangeline Lilly right after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Gerber Children's Wear. Trusted for generations, makers of safe, quality products, Gerber always offers the very best in baby essentials. They offer stylish and affordable essentials, perfect for every baby and every budget. Gerber, onesies, and Just Born brands will ensure your baby's comfort through their growing stages. And there's a special offer for Spawned listeners. Right now, if you buy one, you get 50% off at Gerber Children's Wear. Some restrictions apply. Offer valid from June 24th, 2019 until July 4th. Again, that's buy one, get one 50% off at GerberChildrenswear.com. Hurry for a limited time offer. Okay. So welcome, Evangeline. Thank you. My gosh, what an intro. Well, you know, you have a few things on your resume that we can mention. You know, <laughs> Just you've a done few. a couple things in your life. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, these poor women are like, okay, okay, we got through it. Okay, now we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> so much. No, yours is pretty good. It's not like you mentioned like every single school you went to since preschool. Like it, really. It's... And yesterday she had coffee at this corner coffee shop. <laughs> We're good. Shop. We're good. She got it with almond milk, extra hot. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of your Instagram cool mom pics. I love them. I don't I don't oh. I love them so much. Thank you. We love yours as well. As you know, we're all like mutual follows. Isn't that Well, cool? can I just tell a funny story that I believe you tagged us in one of your photos and both Liz and I were just like, wait, what? What happened? How did this happen? We were both like, I think it was an accident. I think maybe she thought that she was just doing like cool pics and the mom made it in there. We were going back and forth about it. So we're super flattered. Okay. So before we're going to... I kind of felt the same way when I realized that it's so funny because I didn't realize Bond was Cool Mom Picks. I didn't know they were one in the same thing. So I booked this podcast and then sometime into like the booking being done and dusted, I realized that, wait, I'm talking to the curators of Cool Mom Picks. And suddenly I got a little starstruck. I was like, oh my gosh, I love Cool Mom Picks. I'm so excited to talk to these women. Like, And then I realized you followed me and I was like, oh, they follow me? I'm so excited. They and now them. we're best friends and you're coming over next week for a sleepover. Yes. But <laughs> can I also just say that now my 12-year-old son will love me forever. So thank you, Evangeline, for saving me many eye rolls when I just tell him how nice you were to me on our podcast. <laughs> there is a little bit 
of cred with the kids when you're the wasp or when you're a marvel yes yes my eight-year-old's pretty chuffed that his mom is the wasp do you have cred with him because sometimes actors say that their kids are like eh, whatever that's what my parents do and sometimes they are kind of starstruck seeing their own parents on screen you know until the wasp i think my son definitely thought it was cool that i slayed orcs like that that gave me some (laughs) that gave me some cred with him there was actually one time when just randomly i said to my son if somebody broke into the house, who do you think would protect you, mommy or daddy? And you have to understand, my partner is six foot two, 215 pounds. <laughs> He's a big guy. And I'm like a buck and change and five, six and uh, a bit of a waif compared to him. And he goes, um, well, obviously you, mom, you slay orcs. Wow, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Who does he think would better protect him, his dad or Paul Rudd? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You want to hear the saddest story? Oh, it was so, so beautiful and sad at the same time. We went to the Ant Man and the Wasp premiere with my son. It was the first time he accompanied me to anything work related ever. He was very excited. And we went with my partner, Norman. And at the end of the movie, him and his friend came up to me and they both looked really excited. And Paul Rudd, of course, was sitting right in front of us. And he pointed to Paul and he said, Mom, wouldn't it be so cool if uh, Paul was my dad and then you were my mom and then my parents would be Ant-Man and the Wasp? And he said, right in front of his dad. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, honey. But you know what? Even those of us who don't have, you know, kids with celebrity parents who are in the Marvel universe, they also would like to believe that their parents could be superheroes. So I think it just sounds like you're raising a nice, normal, sweet kid. Yay. Let's hope. That, that's really a huge goal of mine. With this career, it's, I mean, I grew up in a very, very normal, you know, sort of below normal income level home. And we declared bankruptcy when I was 10 and, and we struggled. You know, it was always a struggle. So I realized as I've come into this career and grappled with fame and grappled with wealth and all these things that seem like obvious blessings that I was raised, I was indoctrinated into this poor pride that tells me that all rich people are assholes. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your show, but I just did. No, oh, just... please keep them coming. It's not a problem. Okay. Well, I was raised you know, with this sort of attitude about wealthy people and that somehow they were sort of less cool, less integral, less moral, less deserving. And I had this panic when I realized oh my gosh, I'm going to raise little rich assholes. <laughs> How do I give them some kind of a normal, you know, normal is all relative, but this normal, in my estimation, upbringing. And, and so I've kind of intentionally sheltered them a lot from the perks of my job and even some of the perks of wealth. It's been an interesting journey being a mom raising kids in a socioeconomic situation that's so foreign to me. And so in terms of just the general eyes on you at all times, I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah. And we struggle with, you know, how much do we post about our kids online and what do we share about them? How do you make those kinds of choices as, a, you know, a mom in the public eye who's raising a kid who will attract the attention of a lot of people. You know, I've always said I'm so proud of my kids. I just want to splash them all over social media all the time, but I respect them so much. I can't do it. Mm, You know, my feeling is that I chose this career. I chose this path 
And I now, as a mature adult, have to wrestle with the consequences of that and what it means to be in the public eye. And it's it's not always a cakewalk, but they didn't have a choice. And so until they can choose whether or not they want their faces out there and their identities to be shared and sort of who they are and everything about them, then I feel it's up to me to keep that very, very close to the chest and keep it very private and very safe so that they have a choice one day. I think that's really thoughtful. It and, is. You know, is. last night on Twitter, I saw Lin-Manuel Miranda, who also talks about the same issues, and he was describing his son wanting to, like, throw a basketball in a street fair, and he was absolutely panicked because he knew all the cameras would come out mm. and what that felt like and how grateful he was to all the people who took video for not posting it and keeping mm. it to themselves. And it made me think of you, because I knew we were talking to you today, and how that must really impact parenting day to day, not just on social media, but in real life out in the world. Yeah, I I had an interesting moment recently because my eight year old is coming to this age of shifting from an emotional center to an intellectual center. So some of the things that he says and does now are really telling of the last eight years of my life and some of the choices that I've made. And one of the things that he said to me recently, there was a, a, a fan that came up to me. We were in a public place, like a grocery store or something, and they wanted a picture. I don't remember if it was a man or a woman. They wanted a picture. And very out of the ordinary for me when I'm with my kids, I said, OK, sure, let's take a quick selfie. And we did. And then and then they went on their way. Normally with my kids, I'll usually say no and just really kind of move things along as quickly as I can. Mm -hmm. And my eight-year-old son said to me, Mom, why did you take a picture with that man? And I said, well, because they asked me to and, and I just thought it would be a nice thing to do. And they said, but Mom, you were with us. I said, yes. He said, well, people are going to find out about us. Oh. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow. what? what do you mean? People know that I have kids. And he said, what? How do they know? And he seemed really a little bit panicked that mm. this information might leak. And I thought, uh-oh, have I gone Have I gone too far the other way in making him in some way sort of trepidatious of this idea of being found out, you know? And I thought, wow, that's so interesting. He said, well, how do they know? I said, I've told them about you. I'm very proud of you. You know, and then we had to sort of talk about Aww. that balance of being a mom and being openly a mom, but not openly sharing the details of his life. Very complicated for an eight year old. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as he gets older, the issues will change. Like my my oldest is now 13 going on 14 and my youngest is 12 and Kristen's are all over the place. We have so many kids, we can't even keep track of them. <laughs> and it's interesting, like how those issues evolve as they get older. Also, I mean, have you thought about how you'll deal with this? Like when he's a tween or a teen or if he wants an Instagram account of his own or do you just kind of take it one day at a time? I definitely just take it one day at a time. But I have a girlfriend who went ahead of me long ahead of me into the parenting space and her oldest daughter reached that sort of age of wanting to really really pushing to be on social media like she'd held her off for a long time and finally it, it sort of came to a head and they came to blows about it and she was about 12 or 13 I think and she was asking me what do I do what do I do what do I do and I was like I have no idea what to do. I have no idea what I'm gonna do when I get there I'm so glad I'm not there yet and then I just watched and waited and I thought she made such an incredibly wise and unique decision. She told her daughter, you can go on Instagram, but here are the rules. Mommy has to be able to follow you. And the second rule is for every picture you take of yourself, you have to take seven pictures of the world around you. Wow. Oh. 
That's beautiful. Right? Mind melt. I was like, this is so smart. This woman is so wise because, you know, that really is the danger of social media is that it becomes this narcissistic tool of kind of insular self-gratification and really pretending. And then I think you forget to look around you and just take in the beauty of everything else. And you just become, I think people, young people can become quite self-obsessed. And so it was just such a refreshing idea that like, I'm not going to keep you from this tool, but I'm going to teach you how to use it maturely so that it actually enhances your experience of walking around in the world and observing and discovering things. Wow. That's... We should interview her for Cool Mom Tech. <laughs> that's a I fabulous know. idea. She's been love that. And she's the mother of four and she really is an incredible mom. That's such a cool way to use technology to teach kids empathy, honestly, and to look outside themselves. Because, I mean, it's developmentally appropriate for tweens and teens to be a little self-centered, but I think social media (laughs) and all this penchant towards selfies and showing everyone what you're doing, as opposed to flipping that and saying, hey, look at what other people are doing. Look at what's around me. I love that. I'm going to have to use that with, I have a tween and a teen on Instagram. I, we both do. Mine just posts memes about be more chill, though. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That's looking outside. Okay, so Evangeline, you spoke about balance, and you were, you were talking about it in regards to this whole, you know, public eye and balancing that with your kids. But can you speak more about it as it relates to motherhood and other senses? You know, is it possible? We hear it all the time. How do you balance? I'm sure you get this. How do you balance everything? Um, so I'm wondering, what do you think? Is it possible? Do you hate that word? I'd be curious to know your thoughts. Gosh, man, I'm I'm right in the thick of that right now. I really put my head down towards a few really big goals in my life about three or four years ago, around the same time my second child was born and um, had no idea the train wreck that a second child would be, <laughs> had no idea how exponentially harder and more time consuming and energy consuming it is to have two children versus one child. And then on top of it, I was fortunate enough to have you know, pretty much all the things that I had set down as short-term goals really come to fruition. And it all happened at once. It was this maelstrom of disaster. I mean, it was the most beautiful disaster, you know, very high class problem to have, but definitely a problem. And the main problem was I was so divided that everything was getting gypped. Yeah. I mean, literally I couldn't do anything to the level I want to do it to feel proud and gain joy from it and get satisfaction from it. I found I was sort of spiraling into this space of real anxiousness um, and I wasn't sleeping well and I would wake up anxious and I would go to sleep anxious. And I thought, what is this anxiousness? And I realized that anxiousness was knowing that I was never going to be doing anything well in my day. And it was Mm. just so defeating. And then to know that the people I care about most are included in that. I won't even do that. I won't mother well. Like, that's just how do you live with yourself when you know you just haven't set yourself up to do that? So I've been really digging into the idea of what balance means and whether it's attainable while your children are young and and need so much of you. And I actually stumbled upon by this beautiful twist of the universe or fate or God or whatever you want to call it. And I went to this hotel and right in the heart of this conundrum. I saw this book on the nightstand called The One Thing. It's a New York Times bestseller. Not a book that would appeal to me at all because the subtitle was something to the effect of, you know, how to get big success or something like that. And that's just never a motivation for me. I'm much more motivated by creative things or heart things. But it said, take this book, it's free, have it as a gift from the hotel. 
And I, I just knew, I was like, this is divine. Whatever this is, I'm supposed to read it. I, I knew it uh-huh. in my gut. And one of the things I thought was really brilliant that was laid out in this book was this idea that balance is not what we think it is, that balance isn't giving everything the same amount of energy. But balance is knowing when to go deep with what and when to let go of what. Wow. For me, that was a a real game changer because I like to go deep. I am not a surface person. I want to do everything with all of my guts. So balance always seemed unreasonable to me because how am I supposed to do anything well if I'm just giving everything a little bit? But Mm -hmm. this book really laid out an incredible sort of idea and system towards putting yourself into something deeply and then knowing when and how to step away so you could put yourself deeply towards the other thing. And that really helped me a lot. That's a very smart way of looking at it. And it's a topic we've covered before. And so many different experts and authors and parents and organization experts all have really different perspectives on it. And I I like the way you presented that. And I think because we all struggle with that, whoever we are, it would be helpful if you could share some of the things that maybe you've given up as a parent to make room for other things or how you find a way to prioritize. Well, I'm glad you said that because, you know, I was going to add no matter where the conversation went that, you know, I think there's this lie that we perpetuate as women, that women can do it all. And we, we just cannot. And I really believe that it's hurting us to keep telling each other, you can do it all, honey, you got it. It's like, no, stop saying that because I can't and it's killing me. And I actually have realized I'm so greedy. I want all of it. I want to do all of it. Um, and somewhere I have to just stop being so greedy and say, I can't do that thing because I'm doing this thing. And for me right now in this moment, I really have shifted to a space of I'm going to make huge sacrifices in my career because I do not want to miss these years with my kids. And that hasn't been the case for the last eight years of parenthood. For the last eight years of parenthood, I've really given a lot of time and effort into a lot of my professional and humanitarian and social activist endeavors. And that has been so fulfilling. But I'm now at a place where I feel very strongly that I've just gave up a huge acting gig, um, like huge, <laughs> huge. And it was hugely financially rewarding. And it was a really, really difficult decision. Uh, especially because it would have been very good for my career. And I and I, I just decided that all I want right now is to just be with my kids. That's all I want. And if that means I can't do this job, then I don't care. I just not, it's not worth it. I don't want to miss it. I think it's helpful to hear you say that. And it's great that you have the fortune to be able to make that choice. I mean, I remember also feeling wildly guilty when I was working when my kids were little and I would be, you know, looking at the first tooth over Skype from some hotel room in LA when my kid was back in Brooklyn. And it was really tough. And I remember people saying to me, don't worry, your kids won't remember it when they're little. When they're like eight, when they're 10, when they're 13, when they're 16, that's when they're really going to need you. And so I've tried to make the choices to allow me to be with my kids more now because all those people were right. It turns out they they need me more now. (laughs) Kristen, do you feel the same? Oh, absolutely. I tell everyone when their kids are little, do everything you can. If you're yelling, it's okay. (laughs) Like if you lose your temper, it's okay. Save your patience for when they can remember and recount it for you in exact terms, you know, generally the age of eight or nine (laughs) and older. Shit, that's, I love that you guys are saying that because it feels very affirming because, you know, you do these things in a vacuum and you think, I don't know, I hope I'm doing the right thing. But, but 
I found that I've been doing all these podcasts with moms because of my books. And gosh, it's been nice to kind of dive into a community of women who are talking about these things who are mostly all professionals and are grappling with the same angst that we have as professional moms. It's one of the best things about social media and the web. I mean, Kristen and I met through blogging 13 years ago. Before it was easy to like just click a heart on a post. You had to actually comment and have conversations with one another. And this huge parenting community grew. And it was everything. It allowed us to kind of find a village that we never would have found in our own literal backyards and neighborhoods. So I love that you're connecting with the community of moms online the same way we have. So cool. It's so great. So let's talk about the book. Yes, the book. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you've obviously made time for that. That <laughs> Books matter for you. You've made time because we've both written books and we know how much time and energy and all the other things it takes, you know, to do. But you've got this fantastic book for kids. It's now an entire series. So we want to hear how the Squicker Wonkers, first of all, super fun name. How did that come about? Um, it really started when I was 14 years old and I was really into Zeus, Dr. Zeus, even though I was way too old to be into him. I think I rediscovered him at that age, going through some of my childhood books and realized just how brilliant he really was. And the incredible messages he had laced into these irreverent, silly rhymes. And that he not only was irreverent and silly with his rhymes, but he really wanted to to get messages across to kids that were really important. And I was really impressed by him. And I loved the way if he didn't have a word that rhymed, he would just make one up. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, I want to do that. That's so cool. Like, he's such a, in my opinion, at 14, I was like, he's such a badass. That's so cool. Obviously, I was a total literary loner. Um, (laughs) And I started making up my own words. I made up a list of words one night. And in that list, there was only one word that I didn't think was ridiculous and that actually felt really good on my tongue and seemed really interesting. And it was this word squicker wonker. And I thought, but what's a squicker wonker? Like, what does that even mean? And then this very distinct Scottish voice came into my head and I could hear this man saying, the name is squicker wonker. (laughs) to you, but that's it, squicker wonker. And this is what squicker wonkers do. And then he went on to tell the tale and I wrote it all down and it became this like two page poem that I read to my mom and she was like, you should totally publish that. It's so good. And I thought, oh God, my mom thinks it's good. I should never show it to him. <laughs> oh, moms. Poor moms. And my mom, she, God bless my mom. She always believed in me as an artist and she stuck by that idea and she would check in with me like probably every five years and go, have you ever thought about doing anything with that Squigger Wonker poem you wrote and in your teens? And she was so relentless that when I finally realized that this is the thing I want to do with my life, it's the one thing I do when no one asks me to do. And it's the one thing I do when I don't get paid to do it. And I do it almost every day. I should just try to make a go at this. The Squicker Wonkers was one of the first poems I showed to my illustrator, Johnny Fraser Allen. It was There were three that I showed him, three of my children's stories. And that was the one he really responded to. And he had this beautiful vision where instead of vagabonds walking down the road, it would be marionette puppets traveling around a wagon and I was so enchanted by the idea and I just thought it was incredible and really credit him for sparking something new and fresh with the story to inspire me to rewrite it and get it ready for publishing. And yeah, we published the first book a couple years ago and it was well received. And so we've got a whole series of 20 books lined up. 20 books? Wow. Whoa. (laughs) 
okay, there's another one coming out. You know, like you check Amazon. It's like, yeah, another one's coming up in the fall. I'm like, oh, how great. She's got two coming out. 20 bucks. That's awesome. And I want to say, like, it reminds me of my favorite children's books as a kid were L. Frank Baum's uh, Oz series, oh, um, yes. which were so also use like just the most outrageous words, like the Lilliputs <laughs> and the like crazy, right? The Gnome King. And they were such interesting characters. And when I read the synopsis of your book, meet Selma of the Rin Run Royals, a clever little girl who's spoiled to the core. One day, Selma stumbles on a band of colorful marionettes and gets more than she bargained for. The remarkable squicker wonkers of the fabulous squicker show are about to teach Selma she will not always get her way. And I thought, boom, this is Oz. <laughs> this is like Ozian. Even just the way the cadence I'm is. about the books. I'm, you're like taking me back to child. I completely forgot about those books. I love those books. I reread them as an adult, and it was one of the best things I ever did. They hold up, even if my kid didn't really understand a lot of the language of the, like, 1910s. Yes. But they're wonderful. They're still wonderful. And it just, he was somebody else who also used language that way. And I love you think that way. And I just have to point out that you had a fantastic Scottish accent there, and you should consider acting. <laughs> You know, really, it was very good. I was on a plane recently. This woman was sitting beside me, and she tried to scout me. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! Scout, and she that's was like, "You know, you really could have a career in acting if you wanted." And I was like, "Oh, you don't say!" But what high praise? She didn't even know you and just saw the potential. It was so cool. It was so cool. You know, it reminds me also um, when you mentioned the odds. You know, it, it also brings back memories of I remember loving the word Jabberwocky. Yes, oh, yes. you know that that idea of yes. just making up a word and it just it immerses you immediately into an otherworldly time and space it just takes you out of the confines and the rules of this world and into a free-flowing space where anything can happen and where there are no rules i love that i think that's fabulous and i think there's always room for more great kids literature and look we've seen a lot of um celebrity written books and this is a special one and i say that for real these are really great and i'm so excited that you have 20 coming out that's amazing well i gotta say um and to warn your your listeners they're special and not your ordinary kids book right now i've written modern day cautionary tales you know i, I actually like to call them cautionary tales from modern day brats <laughs> <laughs> we just we just don't tell and by the way i have two modern day brats so i can say that <laughs> But we just don't tell our kids very many cautionary tales anymore. And I think there is this sort of danger in not preparing kids for the reality of the bruises they're going to get in life from their own choices. And I think there's a lot of, you know, 20-somethings coming out of college and moving out of mom and dad's house and truly having their butts kicked by life because they really were not prepared. And I think our imagination is where we go to prepare for things we haven't yet experienced. And there was a tradition in tribal culture of telling terrifying stories of wild beasts around the fire at night. And then children would go to their beds and they would have terrifying nightmares of beasts gobbling them up and running from lions and tigers and bears oh my and that was a tool that was used so that when that actually happened which likely would happen at some point in their life they had mentally gone through the scenarios over and over in their head and they would be prepared and there's psychologists that have you know studied this and say it's actually a fundamental tool that we use to prepare our young 
And I don't know that we use that tool very much anymore. And I do think there's room for it. We have so many beautiful idealistic stories that I adore, but we're losing that tradition of telling our kids dark tales and telling them about the other side of life. And they know already. It's not like they, we we think we hide it from them. And we are so deluding ourselves. They see it all. They know it <laughs> all. So true. Oh, yeah. They just don't feel like they can talk about it because we all keep it so hush-hush. Let's just talk about it. I mean, I think that applies to so many issues we deal with every day. You know, I just, death comes to mind. I know that was a kind of a dark transition. But, you know, when, when people are passing away in our lives or even pets that pass away or, you know, there are so many situations that parents... Don't don't feel comfortable, right? And they shy away. And I feel like as parents, like that's our job, right? Is to help our kids face those things. I think imagination and storytelling, like you said, can be a way for us even to be more comfortable with it too. Because it's these are not easy topics that we have to address. But that's the dirty part of parenting, right? That's when we like kind of dig in and get our feet wet and get our hands in the mud. And and that's where the, the magic happens. Well, and I think that that's where authors can come in and like help bridge that gap for parents it is hard to talk about these things and how do you even bring it up or if your child brings it up where do you start and there's something wonderfully gentle about a story opening the door to a conversation you know mm-hmm. at the end of the squicker wonkers i hope that mommy and child or daddy and child will be able to have that really open conversation about what's your vice daddy I don't know, honey. I think, you know, I struggle with being, having a bit of a temper. You know, I can lose my temper sometimes and that's maybe that's my vice. And I wish I I didn't lose my temper, but I do because I'm just human like you. And then maybe the child will feel more comfortable acknowledging the things they know they get in trouble for, the things they know that they struggle with. And, And once we acknowledge it and we talk about it, now we can talk about how do we make better choices? How do we avoid the pitfalls of those vices that we all have? Everyone has it. And that's right. why Squicker Wonker's stories, there's no hero and there is no villain. Everybody's flawed. Everybody's kooky. Everybody's <laughs> a little off center. Because I think that's how all of us really feel inside. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited for this series. I really am. I can't wait to read the next one. I'm just, I'm, I'm very happy with this on a personal level. And I'm nodding vigorously to everything you're saying. So before we get to our cool picks of the week, what would you tell moms new and seasoned who are kind of feeling overwhelmed by all the stuff we're doing, all the stuff we're doing wrong, all the stuff we want to be doing but just can't? Like, do you have any kind of one bit of advice or one mantra you kind of try to live by? Other than reading one thing, by the way, which sounds like that's a good way to go because as you said, it kind of helped you decide where your energy was going to go and where you were going to not put your energy and where you were going to focus all that you had. I think sometimes it's hard to know where to prioritize. I don't know about you, Liz, but I know that's the trouble that I have is that I want to do everything. I've got four kids and so I want to do everything and be everything. And I find myself overwhelmed and actually not working on the projects that I want to work on. I've been writing a novel for like 10 years and I'm going, wait, me too. (laughs) can't can't I have like a minute? Does can't everyone wipe their own butt for one second so that (laughs) I can write some words on a page? So I don't, I don't know what you would say to me. You know what I would say is I would say all of us women 
can look to our beautiful male counterparts, whether it's our father or our brother or a partner or a husband or whoever it is, maybe even our grown son. Or female counterparts. Well, in this instance, I think us women in this moment, while we're learning how to juggle all of these things and be at home and be in the workplace and be powerhouses and, you know, kill it out there. One thing I've noticed in my life is that the men in my life have a much better ability to sift the shaft from the grain to know what's essential and just not give a shit about the rest. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're as good at that. I think that's true. I agree. I'm glad you do because every woman I know struggles with the same thing. And I believe it's because we are in our hearts. We are nurturers in our hearts. We're empathetic. And in our hearts, we really are harder on ourselves. And I watch every guy I know sort of cruise through difficult situations going, I'm going to put this as my, like, I have to get that done. That's essential. And who cares about the rest? And I learned that from my father. I learned that from my partner. And every day my partner teaches me and every day he helps me because he's the stay-at-home parent Mm -hmm. and he's doing all this juggling. And there are times when I ride him because I go, well, did you check his homework? He didn't even do it yesterday. What's going on? Why haven't you done it? And he just looks at me and goes, yesterday, I just didn't have it in me. I lay down. I watched YouTube and then I got up and made dinner and I needed that and I don't regret that choice. What's that like? I want that. (laughs) (laughs) Can he put that in a pill so that I I can take that? (laughs) And you know, in that way, I just think it's such a healthy reminder of the balance that is the beauty of yin and yang and that we all need everybody, that there is no superior sex. There is no rah-rah women are better than men. It's, It's we need each other. We need the female energy. We need the male energy. We need you know, all of it. And we need each other. We need our kids to teach us. And I just love learning from the men in my life about that particular weakness that I struggle so badly with because I'm such a perfectionist. That's nice. I like the shout out to the men. I think sometimes um, it's easy to like kind of dump on dads like, oh, they don't do this. They don't do that. And I really like the way you presented it in such a positive way that, that we all have something to learn from everybody. Yeah. So let me know where should our listeners go if they want to hear more from you or more about the Squicker Wonkers? Well, the hub for the Squicker Wonkers is the Squicker Wonkers. Squickerwonkers.com, which is pretty easy to remember. And basically everything you need Squicker related is there. Um, You were talking about being excited about the next book. Uh, The first four books are actually already available in audiobook format on Audible and iTunes. And I personally narrate Act 1, 2, and 3. They've got full soundtracks and sound effects. They're an incredible accompaniment to the books, especially if you have a reluctant reader or a child on the spectrum or if you have a kid who's so obsessed with their iPad that they're used to so much multimedia that they don't want to just read a plain old book, I really encourage you guys to check those out. And then really, The Demise of Some of the Spoiled and the original Squicker Wonkers reprint are both available in all good bookstores right now. So anywhere you go that has books, they should have them. Hooray! Yay for more books and more great books. And Evangeline, you're going to stick around for Cool Picks of the Week? Yay, of course I am. All right, well, we will be right back with our Cool Picks of the week. So Liz, our sponsor this week is a name that I know that you will recognize and it might even take you way back to when your girls were babies. Any guesses? I'm like, 
I'm wiping the mascara. <laughs> yes, Gerber Children's yes. Wear. Can I tell you for real? I got all these snapsuits and newborn clothes and all this cute stuff for my baby shower. And one of my absolute favorite things, someone had given me like a three pack of Gerber onesies, including the most beautiful solid lavender one that I had ever seen. It was like the most gorgeous color on my daughter. It was super affordable. I had all these other like fancier brands and I put her in that more than anything. If you go back and look at baby pictures of my daughter, she's in that Gerber lavender onesie nonstop. Oh, I know. I had them too. And you know what's interesting is that I had some of my kids' favorite baby clothes or the ones that I always remember them wearing the most turned into a quilt. So I have a Gerber oh. baby onesie as part yeah. of my kids' quilt. Isn't that awesome? Yes, that's fabulous. <laughs> well, obviously we are fans, which means we're super happy that Gerber Children's Wear is a sponsor. Liz, you know they offer stylish and affordable essentials because we both had our babies in them. They're perfect for every baby and budget. And here's what's really cool is they are offering a really great discount to Spawn's listeners right now. If you go to GerberChildrensWear.com, G-E-R-B-E-R, you all know that. I mean, who doesn't know Gerber? Right now, through July 4th, 2019, you can buy one, get one, 50% off. There's some restrictions, but not too many. So go hurry while you can. Buy one, get one, 50% off at GerberChildrensWear.com. And thanks for supporting the sponsors who help support us. Okay, it's time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. Evangeline, you're our guest. You get to go first. Um, My Cool Pick of the Week is a little TV show on Netflix called Sex Education. And I don't know if you guys remember Sully from the X-Files, Gillian Anderson. Oh, uh, yes. Of course. Oh, yes. <laughs> Full force with an incredible English accent playing a mother, a single mother to a teenage boy who has sexual confusion. And she is a sex therapist. So she knows way too much for her own good and is way too nosy for her own good. And it's the most hilarious, heartfelt, heartwarming, funny, sweet little show. It's like one of those ones that's really easy to digest. It's not like Game of Thrones where you come away crushed or, you know, in a ball of nerves. It's really, really (laughs) and sweet. And I devoured it. I think I finished it in two days. It was it was so fun. You're my kind of Netflix watcher. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. I'm like, sit me down, bring all my food into the bed, and I'm just watching and plowing through this series. I think I did um, Sons of Anarchy in like three weeks. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, and I have to say, I'm very curious about this because I wrote a book about sex for parents called The Mominatrix. Wow. And I'm at the age now, I know The Mominatrix's Guide to Sex, but now my my kids are old enough. Like I have a 15-year-old daughter who had a boyfriend and my son is 12. And so they're at the age now where like I've had all this experience with like different sex toys and writing about sex on the <laughs> internet for many years. And it's a fascinating experience. So I feel like I might be able to relate to this at some level. So I'm excited. Oh my gosh, you'll love it. Awesome. Very cool. All right. So sex education on Netflix. We always love a good binge watching recommendation. My pick of the week is hashtag 40 weeks for me. And this is a movement that just kind of It was just spontaneous and grassroots created by our friend Jill Krause. She's formerly of babyrabies.com. And she just did a post. uh, Her youngest is weaning. And she did this post. Baby rabies. Yeah, baby rabies, right? She's so funny, by the way. She is hilarious. But this post was just about what if we took the 40 weeks that it takes to grow a baby, but 
do that for ourselves. Hmm. Focus on ourselves. What would happen if we took 40 weeks for us? So she started a Facebook group and it had like I don't know, almost 2,000 people in like two days. So clearly she's struck a nerve. And it's a really supportive, encouraging community for women who just want to start their self-care journey. And I have to say, Liz, I don't know if you're in the group. I popped in the group and it is amazing. Women just talking about feeling overwhelmed, feeling like they're doing everything, feeling like they don't have any time for themselves. So I'm excited to see what happens because certainly it's very timely. So anyway, it's hashtag 40 weeks for me. You can find it on Facebook. I need to check that out because I need to find some fellow women who are like, I too have meant to go to the gym for eight years and have kept paying the membership <laughs> fees and have not gone. <laughs> I need to find my people. Sorry, kids, you can't go to college, but mommy's a member of the gym downstairs. <laughs> All right, Liz, what about you? Um. Okay, so Kristen, I know that you know I am completely obsessed with my new Apple Watch. I know. Evangeline, do you have an Apple Watch? It's like my favorite thing in the world now. <laughs> oh my gosh, I am allergic to technology. I think I would break out in hives if I put on an Apple Watch. <laughs> well, the reason I like it is because it keeps me off my phone. It lets me put things away mm -hmm. because I know if I'm getting a text or if there's some little alert that I really need, I can just kind of quickly glance at my watch and put it away. Mm -hmm. But now that I've had it for a few weeks, um, I started trying out some new apps and I just tried this pillow sleep tracker app on Apple Watch. It's called Pillow, just Pillow. Okay. Just to see what would happen if I was like checking out my sleep because I have not been sleeping well lately. And I'm obsessed. I'm like such a data nerd, you know? Yes. And um, it shows you over the course of the night, like how much REM sleep you're getting, where your deep sleep is, where your light sleep is. Okay, um, this so is where we're going to connect because I was given <laughs> once one of those, uh, what's it called? Fitbit? Fitbit. Yeah, yes. with the trackers. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah, and it had the same thing. And by the way, I was given a Fitbit before they put that sleep thing on it, and I had no interest. I never used it. I didn't care about how many steps I took a day. But <laughs> then they put that sleep thing on it, and I was also obsessed. I, every morning, I was like, what happened last night? You know? Yes, <laughs> that's how I feel. I've just been doing it for the last few days and and like I can see the difference. I can see like I got seven hours of sleep or I got eight and a half hours of sleep or I got five hours of sleep. And oh, wow, I had like no REM sleep. I slept terribly. The room was too hot. And it's helping me understand like why I feel crappy in the morning or why I feel good and helping me make myself go to bed at a better time and take care of myself more. Speaking of 40 weeks for me. So do you get um, lots of deep sleep, lots of light sleep? What, what's your trend? What do you, what, how well, do you Well, it kind of goes up and down. It's really interesting. Interesting. Like, I don't know if you're a data nerd like me, but I can dive into charts for a really inordinate amount of time. <laughs> and um, so it just shows you over the course of the night, like if you have these long stretches of deep sleep followed by REM sleep, and then always the light sleep comes after the REM sleep, which surprised me. For some reason, I thought you'd like ease out of it. And so on bad nights, like where I'm not sleeping as well, it's like these little blip, 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 like pink blips that show you throughout the night where the REM sleep was. And on good nights, it's very, it's like thick, nice, fat, juicy cylinders. <laughs> you can see like, wow, lots of REM sleep. Yeah. And so um, I don't know how to analyze it yet. I just really like looking at the pretty color graphs and trying to figure <laughs> out what my sleep life is like. <laughs> my mine was so predictable. It, it, almost every night was basically the same thing. I got so much light sleep uh, and very little REM and deep sleep. So I was like, well, there's no surprise there, but it was nice to have it confirmed that I need uh 
to get deeper sleep. Yeah, I always got worried when I didn't have any dreams. I was like, I haven't had any dreams in a while. So this just, just doesn't feel like I'm getting really good yeah. sleep. That's, you can yeah. get it for iPhone also. And the problem is then you have to sleep with your phone in your bed. And I don't really want to do that. Because <laughs> I feel like that's bad tech habits. But you can do that and like try it out and see how it works because it relates to, I guess, the movement on the bed. That's like one of my marriage saver tips is no way like <laughs> no phone in the bed. bed. That's right. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, my partner's a tech geek, so that will never happen in a million years. Create <laughs> other boundaries. <laughs> well, that's it. Oh my gosh. I'm not kidding, Kristen. I want to have her on like every other episode. Do you think that's possible? Um, we could just call it Spawned with Kristen, Liz, and sometimes Evangeline Lilly. <laughs> <laughs> and as every week, we want to bring you a new cool podcast of the week. And this week, we're picking Selfie from our friends and fellow bloggers, Sarah James and Kristen Howerton. Sarah is a lifestyle blogger who you might know as Whirl and a self-help aficionado. And her BFF is Kristen Howerton, a writer and psychotherapist. And on Selfie... They tackle the tricky and often elusive aspects of caring for ourselves. Lots of self-help talk today, Kristen. I know. And they talk about everything from why don't I eat the way I should and how do I get enough sleep? And they even talk about the best way to deal with pubic hair. Yes, they totally go there. <laughs> they go to the topics that you want to talk about, but you're maybe not comfortable. And I also really love their selfie Facebook community. So you can subscribe to their podcast wherever you listen to Spawn. Well, hey, thanks to all of you for joining us for another episode of Spawn. Hope you enjoyed this. Huge thanks to our engineer, the newly Emmy-winning John Bowen. Congratulations, John. We knew you when you were just our podcast editor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, we really appreciate all of your great comments and feedback and especially your reviews. So thank you. A huge way to support us is simply to subscribe to Spawn. You can do it right now while you're listening, download our episodes, and then just tap that little five-star button and leave us a nice review. We really appreciate it. And all the links to everything we talked about, including Evangeline's book series, The Squicker Wongers, will be over on our Cool Mom Picks podcast page. And we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email, spawned at coolmompicks.com. And you can hit us up on social. We're Cool Mom Picks on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are everywhere you are. Just makes it easier. So, hey, thanks so much for listening. This is Liz. And this is Kristen. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.